Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. I did like a hand motion there to sort of present you but it's not actually on camera. I just do it because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel better to do a hand movement when I see it. You gotta put your hands on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so I went and Tara. It was, it was kind of that but it was yes. As a science fiction movie podcast, believe it or not, uh, we get together, we've watched the movie, we talk about it. It's really quite that simple. And we've been doing all of the recent Monsterverse films because we got a new one coming up at the end of the month. Uh, but we finally get to do something else for a couple of weeks and I let Tara just pick a random movie. I was like, you know what? There's an empty slot. Tara, what do you want to do? And out of nowhere, she just shouted Ender's Game at me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> random, but why not? So here we are. Ender's Game, of course, based on a book uh, starring Asa Butterfield, uh, Harrison Ford, Haley Steinfeld, and a few other faces you might recognize. Uh, ben Kingsley, he's in there. Uh, right in between his Uva Bowl appearances. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, Ben Kingsley was like all over the advertisements for the film, but he doesn't really show up until like really late. I mean, the character he's playing is relatively important. He's, there's, there's, a, there's an aura about his character long before we meet him, but yeah, he doesn't show up until mm -hmm. quite late on. Uh, so, yeah, the premise of Ender's Game, uh, the basic gist of it, is that about 50 years ago, there was an, an alien invasion uh, that humans barely were able to fight off. In fact, there was only one war hero who made some sort of big sacrifice. Uh, I think the ending of uh, Independence Day, basically, uh, was able to fight off this alien horde. And the concern is, is they're going to come back. So for some reason, they've, been all been, they've all been watching too much anime, apparently, because they decide that the best course of action is to train teenagers to be the, the army of the future, to be the, the, the space force, if you will, of the future, to take on this alien threat. So it's kind of about the search for the best of the best. And as a Butterfield plays Ender, who is going to be this sort of prodigal chosen one, wunderkind of a military mind who can lead the the entire fleet into battle. Uh, so it's about his training, him being pushed, him studying, all that kind of thing. Uh, mostly on a on a sort of space school, it's like a space station that's also like a, a military boot camp kind of thing. So that is the basic premise of Ender's Game. Um, I actually did see this when it came out. I saw this in theaters. Uh, just cause, really? <laughs> I didn't really have much of a reason. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Uh, I hadn't seen it since, so uh, I was curious about how I'd feel about it on this, this second viewing. Uh, but this was your first viewing of it, that is correct, yes? Yes. Yes. I wanted to watch it, though, because a few years ago I read the book. Mm. And I remember, I even, like, bought the DVD to watch it. <laughs> and I still didn't get around to doing it <laughs> until now. <laughs> Yeah, I. It's funny. It's not until after I saw the movie, but I remember reading like afterwards that apparently the author is very well known for being really homophobic. Uh, I don't know if it's anything in the book per se that's homophobic, but apparently the author is very homophobic. I would say no, uh, not that I can remember. But the, he did write like a, a, a huge. It's a long series mm. of books. I think there's like nine or something total of yeah, the... but the movie bombed, so we didn't get any of those sequels <laughs> turned into books. Right, right. I mean, there's certainly nothing that I can remember that would imply 
any sort of I mean it may not be in the book homophobic. maybe it was in other books <laughs> that he wrote maybe it was just you know an yeah. interviews he gave or maybe something he's yeah. done uh, yeah. I don't remember the exact details but I remember been a lot of discussion about that uh, when the movie came out uh, Well, the, the book came out in 1985 so yeah there's plenty of time for him to screw up and say something terrible Yes, <laughs> since then <laughs> yeah so yeah, uh, we'll get into it. I said, you know what? We haven't done a spoiler-free section in the last few episodes, so you know, I'll, I'll, we'll do a little spoiler-free section, okay? We'll, we'll start spoiler-free. We'll give you warning before we go to spoilers, because some people like that section. Um, yes. So, but well, yeah. So, like, I gave the basic premise. Tara, go on. Wow, is how did you feel about Ender's Game? Um, well, I think it's I think it's pretty good actually. Um, I go. Everything in the the film was very familiar, and I had only read the book. Uh, it was a few years ago now, and I only read the book once, so it seems like it's pretty faithful for what I can remember. Um, there is a little bit of like uh, disappointment in the some of the relationships; they don't really get fleshed out very well, like between um, Ender and the different people that he's uh basically in like boot camp or rotc with um that doesn't really get as fleshed out um also there's some world building things that are missing like uh you said they're teenagers that get recruited but i I believe they're children and i i believe that they're like um they've been i don't want to say genetically enhanced but like uh like Ender's family, like all the kids are like really good at stuff. And I think that's on purpose. Like, I think there's been some sort of genetic manipulation going on. Um, and uh, that doesn't really get explored. There's like a brief mention of like how he's the third kid and they had to ask permission to have a third kid. Um, so uh, I don't know. There's some stuff missing, um, but mostly kind of like the uh the watchman movie <laughs> versus the comic like even though all the scenes are very accurate there's something something's not there like it's a little bit of a soullessness <laughs> it might just honestly like it might be the uh, the blockbusterness of all of it that is getting in the way <laughs> of the film um like the score is also quite good, but it's just so epic throughout the entirety of the film that it kind of doesn't feel special anymore. Um, I don't know. What do you think? So I remember thinking it was just kind of okay from the first time I saw it. And if I had to say my opinions maybe went down a little bit watching it again. Some things really stuck out to me. I, I cracked a joke about them watching too much anime for the premise in the sense that the idea that human beings are going to say, you know what, no, young teenagers are the best people <laughs> to fight this war is just such an absurd idea that it's taken so seriously and never questioned throughout the entirety of this film that it's just really hard to care or believe in it or get on board with it. Uh, but also that, that extends to the other main problem I had when I was watching it is that Ender as a character in this is kind of shit. And I and I mean that as as a as a as a piece of character writing because he falls into this. We're just so we're just supposed to believe he's the chosen one, and we're constantly told by other characters that he is special, that he is the best of the best, and that he's he's the one that's going to do this for us. He's the one. He's the best. And scenes repeatedly 
do this almost the same thing where they'll show him go above and beyond and prove to other people in the scene that he is good enough to solve this problem, or he's good enough to be this type of scientist, or he's good enough to lead people, or he's good enough to play this sport, or it, and it's just that mm-hmm. the movie is nothing but like almost propaganda for this main character who has nothing going for him other than he's supposed to be the special, and mm-hmm. uh, he's a Mary Sue, I, I guess as well. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> is that, is that... Yeah, well, I think that's where like the the missing world building stuff yeah. is really felt. Like he should he should have a reason if he's going to have all these special abilities that that makes him different from everyone else. And I mean, the the reason they use kids is because they are you know they're grooming them into being generals. Mm. So they're if they're bred for this purpose, and the only thing they're trained to do for the, the entirety of their lives is to learn how to command armies and the space force or whatever then i think like if you have more of those sci-fi world building elements there then that wouldn't be the issue that it is for you yeah but yeah it's not there so yeah it's it it feels like it's missing i think what you just said there would probably be fine if the intention was that they'll be ready to actually do this once they're at least you know in their 20s like the idea that they've been groomed from a young age but there's no indication that that's... Well, maybe. I mean, Alexander the Great wasn't very old when he was commanding. So, I mean, there's there are examples in history of young commanders. Uh, sure. But do you think it's a good idea? Do, does like, any part of you think this is a good idea? to Because because, <laughs> the, because the implication in this movie, there is no sign that they're going to wait until they're of a decent age to command anything. In fact... We see in the film, they're very much ready to go to, like, yeah, let's let the 14-year-olds do, do make all the military decisions. Let's just go let them do that. It's just, it's such a, a premise that the movie never justifies having. It just, like, all mm-hmm. we get as an explanation is at the very, very start, as a Butterfield in narration, which, by the way, this, this ties into what I was saying before about constantly being told uh, about things. And it's not just exposition, because obviously movies have the problem where they'll tell us exposition, and there'll be some movies that have to give us a lot of exposition, because we're, you know, we're in sci-fi worlds, we've got sci-fi rules, uh, things are different than normal life, and things need to be explained. But this isn't just exposition mm-hmm. that gets explained to us, it's constantly telling us either through dialogue, through narration, I mean, at one point Ender starts writing letters to his sister, and it's just an excuse to explain and tell us what's happening, constantly the movie never trusts us or the director never just shows us and lets us understand what we're seeing and sort of take meaning from it no no we have to have it be told to us you know eventually like there's a whole subplot in the movie where ender ends up playing this video game which defies the laws of every video game that's ever been invented and i'll i'll let it go for a bit because it's the future they've got more advanced whatever but like we have to have a whole scene of like Harrison Ford and Viola Davis who are kind of like running this place talk about what the video game means and what the whole point of it is and what it's testing and what he's, and what his decisions mean when he's playing the video game and I'm like my god stop explaining stuff this movie's at its best <laughs> because for, for about half an hour to 40 minutes of this movie it turns into a sports a kid's sports movie and if this was just a two-hour kid's sports movie about this weird like uh, zero gravity like like uh, Basically, not paintball, but uh, like zap gun 
<laughs> like combat, right? If it was just like a sports movie about them trying to win the the, the, the league, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be kind of into this. This this is kind of it's a very high budget version of a sports movie, admittedly. But the, the... I mean, those scenes are pretty well done. I think um, the zero gravity looks great, and it it does a pretty good job of showing you like their strategy and stuff, and <laughs> that comes into play later on. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I do think those scenes are pretty good. Those scenes are fine. I think, and although I, one of them was kind of the moment where I realized what was really annoying me about the movie. Uh, what I said about how so many sections of the film just end with him proving that he's the best of the best. There's a, there's a scene where he kind of ends up doing like a fancy like spinning move throughout the zero G like bubble, and like Harrison Ford's mm-hmm. watching, smelling, going, "Yes, he's the one." And the music's getting really epic because he's spinning around and he's showing that he's the best of the. But even though he was left out and no one wanted to trust him and he was just supposed to stay behind. And he's proven he's the best. And I'm like, yes, every scene is designed to tell him that your best character, your main character, is mm-hmm. the best human being that ever lived. Joe you know was making me think of, and I'm not saying it's as bad as this, but it was making me think of the Resident Evil movies and how all they do is tell you over and over again how great Alice is and how she's better than every other character in the movie. That's what this was making me think of. Because all this movie does, every single scene, is tell you that Ender is the best and everyone else needs to make sure they trust him because he's going to make the right decisions and he should be the one leading them. And it got old. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, you know, I just, I remember the book being so riveting. And <laughs> it really wasn't, it really wasn't that different from the from the film. But like, I, and again, like, yeah, Enders is being groomed to be the best because there is something special about him on purpose it's not like you're a chosen one it's like we've bred you to be the best and now we're grooming you so that we benefit from those abilities that we've given you basically i can see fragments Um, given what you're saying i can see fragments of that kind of in the movie but i don't think it really tells that story like uh mm-hmm. obviously when we get to spoilers and we talk about where it goes at the ending and everything you, know, you get into kind of what the themes are supposed to be and what, what it's supposed to be about but yeah because it never it never like gives us any sense of his character other than he's going to be the best and there's no reason to suspect otherwise and every scene's about sh- proving that he's the best it, it i don't know it it comes across as very hollow i think it, it what you've just said to me there just is another example of why execution is so important and why the artistry mm-hmm. of actually doing it. And that, I think that comparison to Watchmen was very apt. And, and I'm saying that having not read Ender's Game, but I have read Watchmen and I've seen the Watchmen movie. And that movie is a hollow husk of a film that wants to be <laughs> cool and is very try-hard. Uh, and it's an adaptation of a book that is so thoughtful and has so much to say about uh, art and about superheroes and about how we idolize superheroes and maybe the negative influence that's had on us as a, as a people. Um, this movie clearly has, uh, uh, or the story of the book clearly has a statement on on the military and grooming of children. It, it mm-hmm. definitely has a lot to say on those subjects. The movie kind of doesn't really say anything about it until the last like, 15, 20 minutes. And then the ending as a result feels kind of like a weird left turn when you get there. Right. Uh, so. Yeah. The ending, <clears throat> when I read it, the ending, I remember being a real shocker. And, like, <clears throat> it was such an important crux of the story, obviously, and ins- I assume inspires all the sequels. I haven't read them, but... Um, I mean, the sequel is called Speaker for the Dead, which is 
I mean, makes sense <laughs> given what happens at the end of the film. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think the problem with adaptations and a lot of remakes is that they're so like preoccupied of taking something and making sure that visually it's, it's better. It's, you know, we, we can do this now. We can show you zero gravity football fights or shooting fights. Um, <clears throat> but they don't, they don't take the important parts of, of what the original work is and make sure that that's there. You know, they miss like, they miss the meaning of everything. Like that, that doesn't need to, that doesn't need to be at, I don't know. Like it's, it's all spectacle without any, all sizzle, all sizzle and no steak, to use another. Right, which, which honestly is why I I really love the the Watchmen TV series, the HBO series, because the, what they got from that is like we can you know do another big statement. We could still we could still keep the heart and soul of what made the Watchmen comic great and tell a new story, and it feels like a more faithful adaptation than. The movie yeah, did, despite the fact that it's because not... the movie just has like all the visual parts, but they forgot the soul. You know, they forgot the real important part. Yeah, despite the fact that the, the show isn't an adaptation at all of the comic, but it does feel like more of a faithful adaptation in a weird way. Yeah, it's an adaptation of that world, just not the same story, and that's the part that you know is important, really. Yeah, I. Because obviously you can't ad adapt a story from a book, and many books have become great movies. And like, and I, I like that you mentioned remakes before because it's kind of the same thing. Like, a remake is just an adaptation of another movie. I know we don't think of it that way, but mm -hmm. it is. That's all it is, really. Uh, and in some cases, yeah. you know, you you have like the cycle remake, but just try to do it shot for shot, which is actually I think a great comparison to the Watchmen movie because that tried to just do the panels and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've I've talked about this in the past. So I won't go into it again, but. Um, yeah, like, one of the, the, the ones that's been brought up a lot just now because it's been in the news is the Last of Us TV show's coming, right? So this is the, this big HBO project that's based on the video game. And it's got the talent behind it where we're all hopeful they'll do the right thing and it'll be a quality show. It's got the Chernobyl writer. It does. But one of the, the weird concerns is that you they have to realize that it's for a different medium and it doesn't work the same way. One of the things that, in this particular case with a book, is that you will have constant... I mean, I'm not sure if it's first person or third person, but either way, a book tends to have the advantage... Well, advantage isn't the right word. It has its own tools to tell its story. And one of the tools that a book has that a movie usually doesn't is constantly being in the character's head and constantly talking about mm -hmm. what they're feeling about things. A movie has different tools. A movie has visuals, it has sounds, it has music, it has these different things to tell its story. And sometimes what an adaptation it really should be doing is saying okay what was the, so let's just take a scene let's just take you one scene from a book and you say okay what did this scene make us feel what was the point of this scene for the character's story and the character's arc and what is the statement that it needs to make for everything to sort of click by the time we get to the end you want to recreate that with the tools of filmmaking not just transcribe exactly what happened in the, i mean don't get me wrong some details are important and if you're a fan of a book or a comic or a video game there's definitely moments or there's definitely stylistic things that you want to see you want to see certain things like realized in live action you want to see you know the post-apocalyptic world of last of us on the screen and that's a cool thing you have as part of your thing but that's not mm -hmm. the meat that's the that's the dressing that's the icing on the cake 
the the, the <laughs> core thing the core thing has to be the the, heart, the why the why yes why are we doing any of this why does the story exist um yeah. and if the answer is because it was a good book then you failed it should it should the answer should exist on its own right so yeah uh yeah um so i, I don't want to be like ultra because it's not the worst thing ever i don't think it's like a painful watch no i i actually think it's you know i was honestly i was expecting the worst thing ever and i was surprised that you know i did enjoy a lot of it and because i thought well it is a pretty decent adaptation it's it's just a little hollow you know yeah. it's, it's missing a lot of the things that you know are definitely there in the book that maybe you're right maybe it's just difficult to adapt because we're getting the we're in ender's head the whole time but there's a lot of relationships like bean is a very important character which, and he didn't really feel that important in this movie. Which one is Bean? Because I have no idea who you're talking about. Bean is the one in the... He's the small one. He's like the littlest guy. Not not the angry littlest guy. Yeah, I was going to say, not the angry one, because the angry one is probably my favorite bad character in the movie. And we'll get into that in spoilers. <laughs> he's delightfully yeah. terrible. It's great. <laughs> yeah he's just a little he's a little overdone Um, (laughs) he's like he's like really small like as a butterfield's like a foot taller than him but he's really but he he works out a lot to make up for the fact that he's small so he's really he's really mean and tough and he kind of walks around like a lot he's like a little pit bull who thinks he's really tough it's it's i know it's weird Uh (laughs) right but i mean there's some things i like in the movie um as somebody who went through boot camp at one point like this is very a very good representation of boot camp i mean obviously it's in space and there's like a weird football game but it's still <laughs> i was going to say i think there's some differences still like the, the 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 militaristic side of it of like uh, of people of your superiors who are you know trying to manipulate you into situations that are you're gonna have to you know troubleshoot your way out of to make sure that you know how to handle yourself like that is that is the thing they do Honestly, <laughs> you know, I think one of the, what just an example of something that doesn't work in this movie, and maybe this is just because it's kids. Because it's not that as a Butterfield's a bad actor; he was great in Hugo. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you know, I've seen him be good in things, but there's a moment, and because I really hated, there's a little, it's just a, it's like a two, it's like a two scene thing in this, right? Where early on, there's the sort of drill sergeant who comes in and like yells at them to get you know, get their beds in shape and whatnot. He comes in. And there's a whole thing where as a Butterfield, uh, I should say Ender, right? Where Ender has a has a moment with him where he's kind of talking back to him. He's kind of questioning authority and he gets really mad at him, makes him do push-ups, whatever. And there's a moment where this drill sergeant says, you will never be a commander. I will never salute you. And Ender says, yes, you will. And then, of course, later on in the movie, there's a scene where he salutes someone. The music goes, oh, it's like, ah, he's achieved it. He's achieved respect, right? And this, I just, I kind of laughed at just kind of how stupid this was. And there's nothing wrong with it conceptually because I can imagine an adult character with a certain delivery, with a certain amount of charisma, who when they says, you know, you will salute me at some point, that it would come off just the right way that later on in the movie, when the person did salute them, I'd be like, F yeah, F yeah, he was right. (laughs) But I think it doesn't work here because one, I don't think the charisma's there in the scene where he says, you're going to salute me. And secondly... The moment where he salutes him is like really kind of random and like a nothing moment. It's not because I, I was thinking, oh, maybe yeah. it'll, it'll come after like a big moment where he's like saved everyone or where he solved a problem or 
He's he's proven himself. And it's basically just this random moment where he's like, yeah, technically you've been promoted, so yeah, I'll do it. And it smiles at him and it's like, yeah, you've earned my respect, sir. Like, he's still 13. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think there's, there's just something about the... I don't, I mean, I don't think that he's a bad actor as a Butterfield. No. I mean, the he, the kid knows how to cry, which is, <laughs> I mean, he's got some red eyes in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I do, I do think he's, he's just not very well directed. If I- or, or maybe it's something about the scene, like the, the way the scenes are set up where the emotion isn't hitting what it's supposed to. And I, I, I think that might just be a direction. The direction thing. is probably a fair critique. I, I would also say that at least the way it's presented, maybe the book doesn't feel this way, but the movie does feel very young adult. In fact, I wonder if even the reason why this was made was to be a young adult movie, because keep in mind, this is 2013. This is... This is like Divergent time this is right, this is Yeah, right after Hunger Games movies. I don't know if they finished yet. Twilight had just been a thing. Like... I think Hunger Games especially, this has like, this is space Hunger Games in a lot of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it's a one-to-one, obviously, but I feel like whether the book is or isn't exactly that, I feel like that's how they wanted to make the movie. And they said, hey, this, we want this to appeal to Hunger Games people. So, And it seems like, like they were possibly sending up uh, sequels that never came about. Oh, I, I think they I think. I think they'd have been delighted if they got to make nine of these. If they, if these were successful, and there's were... no way Harrison Ford would want to do more. <laughs> nah, they they found a way to kill him off uh, early on. I'd, I'd imagine he, he he might have done two and three if they had him like tied to like a three picture deal, and then they'd have found a way. I don't think he's terrible in this movie. Um, again, I think it's just a weird direction. Um, I don't know if Viola Davis's character is added to the film or not, but. I don't remember any like maternal figure who's concerned about the kids mm. being present, especially if like she's part of the military and this has been going on for like almost 50 years where they've been training kids. Like, shouldn't she know what the end game is if she's that high up and part of this military training facility? Yeah. Uh, as far as just some other spoiler free stuff, as far as the sort of like the general design of the, the, the ships and whatnot goes, I would say that it's mostly pretty generic. Uh, nothing about it's really that special or stands out, especially when it's like swarms and swarms of ships in the battle scenes. It just kind of feels like a mess of images. Uh, I will say the zero G kind of like dome is probably the one mm-hmm. part that feels kind of distinct. Where like, oh, I always understood where they were. I always, you know, had a nice concept of what the point of the of the area was and. Whereas whenever mm-hmm. they were doing like you know they're standing in like the essentially the hollow deck and like the space battles are happening around them, it always just felt like a mess of things. Like I, that, I guess that was the other big complaint is that when they when they started doing simulations of battles and whatnot, I never like the characters are yelling out jargon constantly, but there's no actual space battle to follow. There's like no simple goal for us as an audience to go ship A try to get to location B. And if it gets there and shoots this thing, it'll win. Or there was never any kind of like simple understanding for us. It was just there's a complex battle going on. There's a lot of jargon being yelled out, and there's yeah. nothing to really latch on to as an audience. I think the problem with that is that you know we've been watching them train for a while now, um, and now that they're being tested, this training doesn't seem to apply to anything that they're being tested on here. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, other than Ender's, you know, in control. So 
it would be nice if there was a bit more of a through line of, okay, so we know this person's good at strategy and this person's good at whatever, or like, <laughs> but, you know, instead it's, it's just like, okay, now we're, you know, flying drones or pilots or something. And it's not, so well, this has nothing to do with the big open ring with the freezing guns. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, that obviously is, like, good at determining teamwork and stuff like that, but there's not really anything that feels like there's a connection. No, not at all. Um, and even regardless of that, like, just give us a simple, like, like goal in the battle that we can understand so that we can we know, we can see if they're winning or we can see if it's a fail or a success. And we don't. We just we see them react to an explosion and go, oh, I guess they failed. But it didn't mean anything to us. We didn't understand mm -hmm. that they were winning or losing until they all reacted to it because there is no... There's nothing for us to recognize in it. Uh, so... Yeah. Uh, I think that's a problem. Um, but yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll get the spoilers. And I'll take this time to thank your Patreon producers for the month of March, so thank you to Tyler Hess, Sandy Palacios, David Short, Bordenow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, Brett Williams, and David Brown. They are our Patreon producers. Tara, why don't you tell everyone about Patreon? Uh, yeah, if you enjoy the reviews, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as low as $1 per month, you'll get access to bonus episodes of The Ace. So if you're looking for your favorite B-movie, schlocky, fun film, perhaps it's there. Or perhaps it will be in the future. So head over and check that out. Thank you. Or perhaps some uh, non-fun schlocky B-movies that were tortured to watch and we <laughs> commiserate in, in the review. There's also a few of those. Uh, that happens sometimes, yeah. <laughs> uh, Why can't people make good movies all the time? Yes, I, I just include this one in that <laughs> conversation. Why, why, why couldn't this be better? I think this one's good. I don't think it's great, but it, it's all right. I, I, I think I'm of the opinion that it's not good. It's just okay. Like it was just like average-ish. Yeah, that's where I'd put it. I think. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people who are fans of the book series just hate it. Oh yeah, because they're ex probably very excited to get a film adaptation. Because even reading it, like it seems like very filmable. <laughs> <laughs> like this is just a fun action uh, movie, but um, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, so spoilers then. Full spoilers. Uh, I didn't even mention uh, Abigail Breslin's in this. Uh, his sister, who. It's spoken about like she's a really big deal, but she's only actually in like two scenes with him. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty faithful, but I think it's because she becomes somebody really important mm. in the sequels. But uh, So she's being set up. Same with his brother. I think his brother like is more of a political figure in in the book series. So I think that's, that's why. Like, she's definitely... Her character and brother character are like really established in the beginning of the of book one and then like never talked about later on so the whole <laughs> whole time i was reading it i was like well what about valentine and like uh the brother whose name i can't remember but i, I do recall it but only because his name is peter <laughs> oh yeah peter <laughs> i was i was thinking peter but that, that maybe i'm just thinking your name anyway um so so that is technically a faithful adaptation. <laughs> I love how they named the, the, the first their first child Peter and I thought, okay, 
That's the that's the only good normal name. Now we have to name our kids Ender and Valentine. <laughs> well, Ender's name is something else, but his nickname is Ender. Is it? They never mentioned that in the movie. Yeah, they do. Do they? Mm -hmm. When he's introducing himself to Bean, oh, well, he gives his full name. What's his full, and then, his full name then? I don't remember his first name, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's not Ender. That's just why I, that's his nickname. What people call him, okay. including his parents. But let's talk about Ender then. Let's talk about his character arc and but I, which I guess kind of incorporates the plot of the movie, I suppose, in, in a sense. We we have his journey, which is he's tested at the start in like a an Earth Academy, where they intentionally so they've all got chips in the back of their necks so they can monitor them and watch everything they're doing, and he's getting picked on by a bully, uh, and he fights back, and that kind of becomes the kind of the mission statement of the movie is that he's willing to fight back hard enough so that the bully will never come back and fight him again and that's what harrison ford wants at a military commander because he doesn't want the aliens to ever come back which is a little unhealthy for from a <laughs> from a conflict <laughs> point of view but um right well also that when they're when given two options he chooses the the violent one yeah uh, and that that's something that sort of comes through the the the, the film uh when they go up to space because he thinks he's been kicked out but it's actually because now nah, he's, he's getting promoted he's been given this new opportunity so they go to space um i, I actually i was going to complain a little bit uh about him being again the chosen one-esque character on the flight up when harrison ford kind of compliments him for having an observation but they actually acknowledge it in the very next scene that harrison ford's just saying this intentionally to make everyone else hate him as a kind of mm -hmm. a sort of proving ground kind of test. Uh, right. So, fair enough. Fair enough. But, it, it, yeah, it's weird though, because for, for like 40 minutes of the movie, it becomes about the sport. The sports game they play. It, it all revolves around that and how Ender earns the respect of his fellow like yellow bunk mates because they're, they're sort of color-coded and that's their teams and it's also mm -hmm. where they all sleep. And they're in the yellow team. And he's earned their respect by talking back to the drill sergeant, uh, even though they all hate him at first. And that's kind of like, okay, he's earned their respect. He does some fancy things in the, the zero G. So he's promoted to green. So he's sent up to green, which is... And as far as I could tell, all this really... It, it was like going up a year in school. It felt like he just advanced to the next year because everyone was a little bit older. <laughs> that's what it felt right. like. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's what's going on. Yeah, and that's where Haley Steinfeld is, who is kind of his love interest i guess i mean it's never really romantic i suppose but it's just, i mean yeah i mean i guess they hold hands they hold hands <laughs> also she's a the, bit of a mentor the billy character the sort of the the one in charge of this this team because that because this on the green teaming up seemingly someone is like appointed as the the squad leader who does who can give orders to the rest of the kids and he is, this is the guy we were talking about earlier, he is the muscly little man who is compensating for his size by being as muscly and as angry as possible. And he gets in as a Butterfield's face and he's constantly, like, it's not even a dick measuring contest, it's, it's a height measuring contest that he's already lost, but he's going to win on just character alone. That, that, that's, his, that's his whole thing. Uh, but he, he specifically gets kind of angry, he's like, no, you don't train with her. Because, you know, Haley Steinfeld's shown him, like, some fancy moves. Uh... For the for the game, 
uh, on their own free time. He's like, no, you don't train with her. And it did feel like it was going down like a weird, he's a jealous, maybe not Maybe not that they're in a relationship, but he's just, he's got a thing for her. So he's jealous and he's angry that he's spending time with her kind of thing. It never actually goes down I that think- path, but it felt like that for a bit. Yeah, I think it's more that Haley Steinfeld has, has sort of become his mentor, and he doesn't want Ender mm. uh, to get good at the game because uh, he f- is threatened by Ender from the beginning when he shows up. And Ender does show a little bit of smarts when he kind of takes him aside and says, "Look, if you let me play and let me get better, I'll get transferred again, and you get rid of me quicker that way." Um, and the funny thing is, he, he, he makes a point of doing this away from everyone else so that he doesn't have to feel embarrassed that he's been reasoned with or that he'll look like he's lost. He's like, hey, you can go back to everyone else, tell him you're pissed at me, tell him you, you shouted at me, and we can just go through. So he, he's being kind of oddly diplomatic in a way that will still satisfy this guy's weird toxic masculinity needs. But mm-hmm. but obviously this just kind of makes him angrier, that he thinks he's being like, outsmarted with all this. So... Uh, he's just miserable but so when I get to this this game uh, this is the one where Ender does this fancy move where he's spinning through the, the, the circle of the whole dome and everyone's all impressed oh he's the chosen one he's Superman he's he's doing like this amazing feat <laughs> uh, I thought it was okay like I, I didn't mind it so much I thought the music was a bit I don't know I, I didn't really in, enjoy much of the music throughout the, the film because I thought it was making everything a bit more epic when i wanted it to be more like uh like like boot camp <laughs> not like they're fighting a war but uh. well it's funny you say that because i mean the, the whole twist at the end if you want to call it a twist is that a simulation turns out to be the real war so <laughs> like it's all the whole the whole end of the film is like hey no we were tricked you it's not really boot camp anymore it's actual <laughs> combat uh yeah, it's so funny because there's a so he then gets promoted kind of again to the red team, but the red team hasn't existed. The red team are so shit that they were disbanded, right? Uh, the dragons. But Harrison Ford's so impressed with them that he's like, "Yo, you're going to have your own new team. You're going to be your own captain, and you're going to get all the misfits, and you're going to whip them out of shape." And he's shown to be this kind of considerate leader who's like, "Hey, if anyone's got a better idea than me, feel free to speak up, and you know we'll consider it. You know, this is, you know I don't have to do all the thinking and." You know, and this is probably why the sports, as much as I was making fun of some parts of it, the sports movie, which is like a good like third, maybe even close to half of the movie, is probably mm-hmm. the better chunk of it. Just because, at least here, when he starts like being a better captain, it's kind of showing, okay, all right, so he's doing things differently. It's actually shown me how he's better at something rather than just telling me that he's better at something, and expecting me to swallow it and expecting me to swallow that he's going to be the best at everything. Um, that's yeah, and, and the sports dome that they're in, the big the big sphere, is is an interesting set design. You know, like they they have zero g and they're in like a ball, and there's different uh, ways of like blocking. They have these like diamond shaped metal things that are there that can be used to create like basically a different arena each time they play. Yeah, I, I like that a lot as well because that that's it's really simple. Yeah, they've got these like pyramid cube not cubes but pyramid blocks right that are kind of throughout mm-hmm. but as we see every time we go back there that sometimes they reform it to be like just more of a wall where they're all connected or they'll split them up it really feels like a like a like a, almost like a gymnasium where you can reassemble all the parts into a different course if you want to uh yeah it's very simple but it's uh it's effective 
it, yeah, it's simple, and because it's simple, we understand it. Uh, every time we see it, it was oh, they've rearranged it to form this function uh, in this particular test or this particular game. Uh, it's a very tactical sport, obviously. Uh, and the, the culmination of all this is when they're given the the red team are given a two on one match where both the yellow and the green team, the previous two teams that he was on, have to team up together. Uh, and it's all just a trap. They're all just kind of there. So so. Ender, of course, has to outsmart them all by having all these fancy ideas about how to go in without being spotted, uh, or like surprise them, sort of tactically finding out where they are, and then they ultimately do this weird thing where, if someone can get to the enemy team's gate without being zapped, then that just automatically wins, right? It's it's got the the what's the Harry Potter thing in uh, Quidditch? Oh yeah, the Quidditch. The the, the magic one. The golden. The golden, the golden thing. one, yeah. Where if they catch that, it's just over. Like, it doesn't matter what the points were. That's a win. Is it a snitch? The snitch. It's the snitch. You're right. <laughs> Tara, <laughs> uh, confirmed bigger Harry Potter fan of the show. Uh, <laughs> I have seen all the films, and I've been to Harry Potter Land. I read the first four books, but um, didn't keep going. <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen the movies. Uh, they're not the worst things ever, but uh, not for me. I mean, they're not for me. I've seen them all. They're not for me. Yeah, uh, but you know, he has this thing where he just like they basically form a shield around one of the one of the players, so that when they get to the the exit, the, the enemy's exit, that's them one because he jumps through and it's like, hey, we won, and they all look idiots. Which and this is where it takes a weird turn because the Billy character, the little angry man, Bonzo is his name. Which, by the way, his name is Bonzo. Just put that put that out there. <laughs> Maybe it's also a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> possibly uh he tries to shank him in the shower like it's a prison he shows up end is in the shower right he was la di da you know he's doing his armpits he's having a good time you know he's just getting get, get, get his shower on and in comes bonzo with his two henchmen and he's like right we're going to talk about this i'm sick of you upstaging me making me look bad uh and he's like yeah prison rules that's what it feels like it feels like yeah it's like bender Bender, sorry, Ender. Don't yeah, I th- <laughs> Bender. Bender's game is a is a movie. Also, it's pretty good. So, <laughs> it's one of the few the drama movies Futurama that came spin-off. out. Yes. Um. <laughs> no, it's a it's a real movie that they made. Oh, Bender's really? game. Awesome. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, drama came out with four four movies. I appreciate. I that. think, I think maybe it was the first one. Maybe. Mm, I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> but um let's kill either way. Yeah, I, I think this is just the uh like this is the type of commander that maybe they the 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 space force or whatever is thinks that would be would be good because it, but he's just got too much aggression and so like this his pride is and ego has been hurt too much and so that aggression is coming out as like not just bullying anymore, but like physical abuse against um, Ender. Yeah. And Ender has an accent here because he fights back, and when he kicks uh, Bonzo back, his back of his head hits the the porcelain, and it you know it, it may have killed him. You know, in the moment, I, in the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, did he just kill him? <laughs> was this an accidental death? There was serious yeah. brain damage. Uh, yeah, he's not dead, sure. but yeah, he has to go back to Earth. He's going to be you know. If he's ever going to live a normal life, he's going to take years of physical therapy and whatnot to get there. Um, 
so it's just this dark thing where where Ender wants to quit because he doesn't kind of like what he's becoming. And this is kind of the frustrating part of, like, the potential of the story of the movie. Because when you take out all the young adult nonsense, mm-hmm. right, if you take all that away, what this movie really wants to be about, it, it wants to be Robocop. It wants to be a movie about someone being conditioned into being a killer and them realizing their own humanity. Uh, but with a particularly dark ending where they actually trick him into committing genocide. That is the ending of this movie. They trick Ender into yeah. killing off almost an entire alien race, right? Uh, like he, he wipes a planet full of aliens. and Because he thinks it's a game. Because he thinks it's a game, because it's a simulation. Uh, it's, it's all just a trick. And mm-hmm. maybe if they pitched it that way, I mean, I, I get that the book was written in the 80s, the first one, but if you pitch this as, oh, this is why we want kids, because they're good at video games, and if we tell them this is just, you know, the newest Call of Duty, mm-hmm. they'll go in and they'll, they'll, they'll do it, and it'll be easy, and, yeah. <laughs> that's why uh, that's why Buster's so good at drone <laughs> piloting, right? And Arrested Development. That's why he's good at Army, yes. He's good, <laughs> good at Army. Um, like... So, so like the ending does have balls, like, and this is more a compliment to the book than it is the the movie, admittedly. But you know, the, the ending does have this really dark idea where he's tricked into doing this. So, so at this point in the movie, when he when he tries to leave and he's kind of talked into it, his sister, who is the compassionate one, because he he talks about this a couple of times in the movie, how his brother is the angry one, his sister's the compassionate one, and he's kind of in the middle, and he he has to find the balance between the two. Uh, and he doesn't know where that is. Yeah um but uh, yeah he's got a lot of compassion for his sister like they really do have a special relationship but again i'm pretty sure that she is also special like in it has something to do with her ability to have like a lot of empathy she yeah tries (laughs) i sense he's very angry captain proto diana (laughs) the thing is so it's he does agree to go back, but when he goes back, he doesn't actually go back to the camp. They take them to... Uh, it's, it was like a former, like, uh, camp that the aliens had set up when they were invading Earth that they have sort of retrofitted. Yeah, like a colony they used to have. Yeah. And it's... Mm-hmm. I, I think it's relatively near their planet, but not, not right there, but it, close enough that that's where they're controlling everything from. And, you know, they start doing simulations, and it just so happens that every character that he kind of bonded with during boot camp are also the people who are go- all good enough at all the various jobs to, you know, be the tactical mm-hmm. commanders underneath him, you know, commanding everyone. Um, and it's all video games to them, and they're, they're playing. I-, I think what's weird about this, though, is that Ender, when he finds out that the, the final test was actually the real thing, and that they've actually just wiped out an entire planet of aliens, he's like, but no, if I knew it was real, I would have and I'm like, what do you mean? This was a test because they expected you. You believe this was a test because you're going to actually command the fleet in a matter of weeks is what they're telling them. So you saying that you'd have done things differently if you'd known it was real makes the whole thing invalid. <laughs> if anything, it kind of justifies them lying to you about it in a weird way. <laughs> right. I, I think um, and we, we, get, we do get this in the movie. But like the connection that Ender has with the, the queen of the colony of the of the, of the alien planets, is um, trying to communicate with him, and it, we get one, one scene of Ender playing the game, well two scenes actually of Ender playing this mind game, which the alien queen is actually using to try to talk to 
Ender also to communicate with him. And in, in the book series, like he plays that game a lot more mm-hmm. and he gets a little bit further each time. Uh, not really uh, knowing what the game is, but he's so curious about it. And it's actually some of the best parts of the book. Um, one of the ones I remember the most. And I, because of his connection to them through that video game, like he he does have some empathy and he is starting to question like whether like what what humans are doing is the right thing. Like maybe their intentions were accidental. Like they didn't they you know, they were sort of refugees. They're trying to find they're trying to colonize and they accidentally started a war. Um, but, you know, but they have no way to communicate. So now that the queen is trying to reach Ender because Ender is special and he's going to be the one that causes genocide um i think they also have some sort of like uh ability to see through time um there's a lot more going on and uh that's not obviously in the movie very much so honestly that is lacking (laughs) yeah honestly that video game thing that he plays on his tablet the first time it came up i really hated it because harrison ford and viola davis are watching him play it because this is a game that they've they've given him and mm-hmm. it's presented it's, it's meant to test his frustration because it's like this you know alien or old man or whatever it is is giving him two cups and like he's he's playing as a rat and it's like the, whatever the rat ones get poisoned one doesn't but he tries it both times with both cups and both time it kills him so it's kind of a it's almost the uh what the 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 kobayashi maru, kobayashi maru. Yeah, from star trek <laughs> it's just designed to be a no-win scenario uh even mm-hmm. though it's really just like pick a or b uh, but then he just decides to then kill the old man instead by crawling into his eye and i'm like wait a minute that's an option in the game because i i thought that the controls were just a or b <laughs> like i didn't realize he could control the rat and crawl up to the get the man's eye and like go into it and whatever but then yeah yes. wait, he plays it he plays it once more and then he has a dream about it and then in the dream about it he has there's like a cg version of his sister who leads him to like a cave or whatever which ties into where he goes at the very end of the movie um yeah but this stuff is so thin, and what the, when it pops up, when he sees his CG sister, instead of being intriguing, it's just like, what the hell is this? This is stupid. What what what, what am I watching right now? <laughs> and so when when he says at the end, oh, she was you know the alien queen was trying to communicate, she was trying to talk to me. I'm like, what? <laughs> you, what are you doing? <laughs> Pulling us? Yeah, out it's your a arse. lot more fleshed out in the book, obviously, and uh, it also is one of the reasons why Ender is questioning like whether or not they're doing the right thing Which so to- when, yeah when he jumps to like genocide without <laughs> without knowing it then yeah that's uh obviously a big deal for him especially to- since he's already been making these connections now, to be fair I, I mean i'll try to defend it too much but to be fair i don't think that you need that element to justify why he has a problem with it like, I, I think it works just as a, he's a decent human being that he starts mm-hmm. to question it because hey maybe we shouldn't be killing an entire race maybe maybe this is just wrong and his reaction to committing genocide is maybe just a natural thing i mean it's nice that there's maybe more of a reason for it in the the book but i don't know if you necessarily need the extra reason necessarily right. i mean that's we get that in um starship troopers also where you know it doesn't take very long before you start to question if we're the mm. if we're the good guy still it actually is very startup trippers in a lot of ways. It's kind of like 
you know, Harrison Ford is... Because Harrison Ford, and this is the other thing, is Harrison Ford really should be the villain at the end. He should feel like the villain. And I don't know if the movie is really committed to going full villain with him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like he's trying to be kind of sympathetic when he's like, it was the only way, son, and, you know, we had to wipe them out, and now we're all going to be safe forever because of it. And, again, it feels like it wants to really make this poignant statement. Yeah, and he's definitely old enough to where he remembers the first attack, so he should be... Like, maybe if he had more of a personal reason why he wants genocide mm. and or, or something, um, maybe they're, maybe they're waiting for the sequel. Yeah, I kind of, because Ben Kingsley's character, he's the he was the mysterious pilot who kind of won the war the first time. And it turns out he's still alive at the end, or towards the end, and so also kind of trains Ender a little bit. Um, I kind of hated his character uh, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. Uh one ben kingsley is a performer I, I don't know if i've just seen him with enough bad things now but I, I, the way he delivers certain things just feels a bit limp to me um oh. i don't know i'm sorry but uh the other reason is that uh, this the guy's name annoyed me because they, they mentioned that a lot this mysterious pilot who saved everyone although they never actually and Be- ender acknowledges this he says that they're always very vague as to how, what he actually did to actually win like we we see footage of him like going up into the ship and like exploding, but we we don't really know about anything that happened after that or why that specifically ended things. Uh, but his name is Mazer Rackham, and I could not have told you that without looking at his name in IMDb because even though they kept saying it, um, I never turned on subtitles. If I'd done that, obviously I'd know what it was. But every time they said it, I'm like, wait, Mazer, what? Azer? Razor? <laughs> Taser? What, what are you saying? What's going on? uh it's a weird name is, is what, I'm, what i'm saying <laughs> um and he, show, yeah. he shows up he's in a his, new zealander and he shows up in his room like a monk like sort of sitting yeah. there like a jedi and i'm like don't make me think of star wars the last thing you want to do in a movie is start to make me think of star wars okay <laughs> i never got star wars from it but <laughs> sure jedi are space monks <laughs> that's what he's doing he's like a monk when he first shows up okay yeah i mean he is sort of sitting there in silence waiting for ender to make a move yes um yeah he's he's just another he's just a, another character that's there to test ender in a way that he doesn't know how to respond to so he has to figure it out quickly um i think also like the i couldn't really tell but like he he's got face tattoos mm-hmm. and from certain angles it looks a lot like the like the insectoids that we see the 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 aliens they kind of look like insect legs the way they're like sharp razor points mm. and then a smooth edge. Um, I wonder, because he says the reason he has them is that he's uh, he wants to feel a connection to his father because he's like a New Zealand Aborigine or, or something. I'm not quite sure what the name of the people are. And he's... um. And he he says when he when he wear when he has the tattoos he feels connected to the dead like he's a speaker for the dead, which is obviously the name of the sequel. So, like, and Ender is going to become like a speaker for the dead, like the dead the the for the aliens that he you know murdered <laughs> unwillingly, but yeah you know, and he's a uh, so I I guess that's like the main connection that he's there for is that to have that maybe for the fans um i'm not really sure 
But otherwise, his character seems a little bit needless, especially since he's not there until like an hour and a half into the movie almost. He doesn't really serve much purpose. You could take him out and nothing would be lost. Like the plot would still happen yeah. exactly as it does. It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't make Ender realize anything really that he doesn't offer any sort of different words of wisdom. He just, <laughs> you know. It, I mean, if it was uh, like Colonel Dab, is it or something that the... The, the guy from the when he was on yellow team um who was there like his drill sergeant mm. who just like would show up in his room and ender would have to figure out how to escape the room without him like stopping him then that would also work <laughs> so just keep it the same character yeah uh, like i said i kind of alluded to this earlier but i really didn't enjoy the actual space battles when they were commanding them it just there was just kind of a mess of noise there was uh, like, like a lot of big final battles and and movies, it just felt like a lot of uh, you know CG ships flying around with the, without any like, anchors to sort of give me a, a sense of who was who, where was what, <laughs> like what was the goal here. It was just kind of a yeah. mess of of stuff on the screen. Yeah, and even their strategy like reminded me a lot of the <laughs> the season finale of uh, Star Trek Discovery season two. Like every all the drones had to like surround Michael so that she can have a straight shot. <laughs> I mean, it's established in the film that you know this is the the strategy that they use to win against the the two t- two against one fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's still it's very much just a swarm of enemies and and drones or or I guess they're not drones because they are piloted because they said that they had that those pilots lost their lives. Because Ender didn't realize he was uh, fighting something for real. I think the ending does feel kind of abrupt. Uh, I, I not just because obviously it does that thing where it cuts to the, the title screen after a bit of narration, like it's meant to be like a badass moment. Uh, because Ender, of course, he has the dream again. It makes him realize that they're trying to draw him out to this cave on this this little moon that they're on, this planet they're on, wherever they are. Um, and he goes there and he meets the queen and or he meets this alien and they've got like a baby queen and like an egg that's gestating and he's supposed to travel and find like their their lost colony or something like that so that the, the, a new home. the species can thrive and continue and that's cool enough but like he goes and speaks to the alien he starts another like you know dear valentine letter and he's well, that sounds like a romantic thing. Valentine's just the name of his sister. Uh, dear Valentine Lair. And he explains that he has to, you know, he's been promoted to Admiral and he's allowed to just basically do what he wants now because he's an Admiral and the war's over. Uh, so he's going to go into space and never stop making up for what he did. And then it just cuts to the title, basically, from there. Um, but the, the whole idea of him, like, post-genocide... Like, the idea that he has to make up for what he did and that he feels devastated in the atonement. Like, that entire part of the movie is, like, maybe five minutes long. It, it, it's so quick that it sets up this premise that it cuts the t- your credit on as if it's, like, a big, like, climactic boom. You didn't see us going there. This is, this is what the story's really about. It's about his redemption. Mm-hmm. It's about him going and make up for the fact that he committed genocide. Uh, it's just, like, I, I needed, like, an extra like batch of time of him like wallowing in things or some i don't know i need something it's so quick 
Yeah, I think the ending doesn't have the impact. Like him, him realizing that he commits genocide and Harrison Ford telling him that you should be celebrating it um, is not as impactful as it should have been. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and you know, a butterfly is like acting his ass off. Like he's doing a good job. It's just, I, I don't know why I'm not getting the emotion from it. Did you say butterfly? Butter, whatever his name is. Butterfield. <laughs> Butterfield. <laughs> Butterfield. Yeah. I mean, he's doing a good job, but he, I don't, I don't feel the emotion. And I, I think it's just the direction. So because of that weight not being there, then his, um, you know, I mean, he can never really atone for what he's done, but his, at least his attempt to say, okay, maybe there's, there's some hope here, um, should feel a lot more impactful, but, um, it, it doesn't cause we're lacking the, the, the original gut punch. It doesn't feel like it's been set up enough throughout the film that it feels like a nice climax to, to what the movie's been. Um, and it's not that there's no signs of any of it there. Cause if you look for them, you can find them, but. It doesn't feel kind of like a, a culmination to what the movie's been about. Like I say, half the movie feels like a sports movie. Like, it legitimately feels like a sports movie for half of it, uh, which is really weird in the, in the context of what it is. Because it, it really wants to be a little bit of Robocop, a little bit of Starship Troopers. Uh, it's funny that it's I'm comparing it to Verhoeven movies that didn't exist when the book was written. But th those elements are kind of there in the sense that, you know, it is this allegory for, for brainwashing young people into hitting the enemy. Um because one of the complaints I think I might have as well, even though I get why, I understand why this is the case, because thematically it does make sense. It completely makes sense that we never really see the aliens properly until the very end, because that's what it's like for these kids. These kids have never seen them. They're just this boogeyman that the, the military have mm -hmm. set up for them. And I get that. I get why thematically that's actually really kind of a good idea. But I do also think that the genocide itself feels really limp because we've never even seen them. We they, they don't feel real to us either at all as the audience because all they've ever been is that boogeyman to us and uh, you know a video game character on the simulation. So when they say that he's just committed genocide, it does feel purely theoretical. Like I don't know, and I'm not saying that I need these shots of like aliens dying on the planet, screaming for their lives or something to really sell it that oh there's people to get you know there's oh, there's beings dying down there. But it just, it felt, I felt so detached from it existing. It, it, it almost does too good a job of feeling like, like they are just playing a video game because I felt nothing from it. I felt like, yeah. So even when they start saying you just committed genocide, I'm like, this is a cool idea, but I don't feel it. I don't feel that he just committed genocide. I, I don't mm -hmm. feel the, the, the weight of it. Uh, yeah. Conceptually, I think that's a great idea, but <laughs> right. I don't feel it. I, don't, I just don't feel it at all in, in, the, in the movie. Um. So, I you know I agree. It's just there's a, there's a lot of um, you know this is why I think it feels kind of soulless. It it's missing the emotion. Mm. I mean, the actors are giving me emotion, but I'm not I'm not there with them. I think part of it's how it's written, and part of it is of course the direction. But you know, Ender part of the character is supposed to be that he does pick the violent option, and we can kind of see that. But it, other than the few examples we see of him. Like in a situation where he has to pick the violent option, he's actually a very kind of timid, quiet character most of the time. So it doesn't even feel like that's like a constant like temptation for him. 
And yeah. and the example in the shower that sort of makes him back off, uh, like it is purely self defense. Like he doesn't even try to do what happens to the guy. It's just it's you know it could have happened to anyone. Like anyone yeah. pushing someone yeah, away. Yeah, it's definitely an accident. Yeah, which is why he doesn't get sent home, even though he chooses to go. Yeah. Uh, so I I guess what I'm saying is is the, the character feels like they're telling us he has this this character flaw that. As a as to anyone that's rational is a problem, but to Harrison Ford's a big positive. Um, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like only there in some key sequences when the movie decides that it's there, and he never feels like he actually has that problem throughout the rest. See if he actually felt like he could, because there's definitely been characters like this in movies and TV where you know you you like them and you want them to do better, but they do have like an anger issue, and it's kind of this tense thing where you can see the situation starting to come where they might snap or where they might erupt into the violence that they're good at <laughs> or something and i yeah where you go no no i like you don't do this yeah yeah it's like a tragedy <laughs> don't go into your uh don't go turn into mr hyde it's, it's like uh it's like for, it's like watching a movie about an alcoholic and hoping they don't pick up the ball that's what you want to feel and ender in this though he never feels like he has that the entire time mm-hmm. until the one or two scenes where he, he he's confronted and he has to pick the, the violent option it's weird um so yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I don't know. He's 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 the, he's the most. It's like the movie's telling me constantly how complex he is, but he just feels like plain white bread. <laughs> I actually don't know him from anything else. I've never seen Hugo, which I I know is great, and I'll see it eventually. But Hugo's very good. I I, I thoroughly recommend Hugo. Yes, you're not the the first person who's recommended that film to me. Mm. But I, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. I think maybe he was up for, like, um, the role of young Solo. That's the only other thing that I can think of where his name was mentioned. That would have been mildly amusing, given that he was in this movie with Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah. I'm sure Harrison Ford had a rule on set. No one, just because we're doing a movie in space, I don't want to talk about Star Wars. No one talked to me about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he takes on any sci-fi rules. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just glancing at uh, Butterfield's more recent credits. I mean, yeah, I, I knew he was in Sex Education. That's that Netflix show that's been fairly successful. He's in that. Um, that's kind of his his big thing uh, right okay. now. Yeah, had a couple of movies though. Let's watch the skies. That sounds sci-fi. Eh? Oh, it's a CG animated film. So, no. <laughs> well, it still may be sci-fi. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say. That's all right. So. We got we got a long list of films. We got plenty. We got plenty. There'll be plenty more. Um, Yeah, that's basically the movie. I, I, it, it's a kind of a frustrating one. Because, like, I can kind of see the really serious topics it's trying to... It wants to tackle. And I, I can see the potential and everything it's doing. But ultimately, if... It just it feels like the studio wanted a young adult film to appeal to Hunger Games fans. So it's kind of trying to be more for that audience. Which is why I think that the ending where the character is tricked into committing genocide feels oddly at odds with the tone that the film's otherwise trying to go for. Um, mm-hmm. I think the film that has that ending has to feel like we're more on edge the entire time. Not necessarily that we're, we know there's a risk of that happening, but that the character's mental state is kind of fragile. And again... 
I never felt that <laughs> throughout the entire film. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it definitely is a pretty faithful adaptation. So, I mean, it could be that it was made by fans or somebody who just wanted to make, who thought, like, I could make this into a movie um, while reading it. And like I said, like the, when you when you read it, it, it seems like it would translate really well because it's a very easy, quick read. And it, it does kind of read like a like a young adult adult no, novel. <laughs> so like as far as if you're interested in reading sci fi anybody and you're not really sure where to start, Ender's Game is actually a very good place to start. Um, and okay, I just have to jump in here. I. What? It shouldn't be a surprise that the direction in this isn't that good. Oh, my. <laughs> Do you remember a little film called X-Men Origins Wolverine? <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yes, that's Gavin Hood <laughs> did that movie, who did this film. Uh, oh, okay. He has since this did Eye in the Sky, which I vaguely remember trailers for. And a f- oh, actually, I heard that movie was quite good. That's a drone movie. Yes, it's about drones. With Helen Mirren? I think that's correct, yeah. And then they had something else in 2019 called Official Secrets. Starring... I thought that was Rachel Vice, but apparently it's... Oh, no, Kira Knightley. It's Kira Knightley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Kira Knightley. That makes sense. Mm. Yes, so... I, I, You know, I... I, I don't think it's the, the worst thing ever. I think it's perfectly watchable and serviceable uh but it's kind of one note in this presentation of its main character where it's just constantly telling us that he's the best of everything or he's going to be the best at everything and never even gives us like a a swerve where he has like a big flaw that he has to get around it never gives us that so yeah um and that's to say there's not an arc because there is definitely an arc The, the, the inherent arc sort of the realization that the people that he's devoting his life to try and be the best for are wrong and that they're ultimately going to make him do this horrible thing that is an arc and that's that's a very commendable one but it's just yeah. i just don't think the drama's there i just don't think it lands yep i i would agree with that still i mean not not a terrible watch like i still enjoyed it hmm. i think this was the first thing i ever saw uh hayley stanfield in oh no that's probably well, true grit it was yeah it was probably true grit but i've got a feeling that i've forgotten who she was after that and then i think after this second film I was like, okay i think i vaguely know who this person is now but uh yeah i mean yeah her, her best performance is edge of 17 it's a high high recommendation she's for me very good in that <laughs> i do also recommend that film uh and she's going to be the new hawkeye so yeah that's something to look forward to is that for a Disney Plus show or is it for a film? Disney Plus. Okay. So it's going to be hard on Jeremy Renner. And he's going to pass the the torch to her properly. Uh, should be good fun. She's a great actress, so looking forward to it. Yeah, she's also in a very underrated little film called Barely Lethal, which I quite enjoyed. But right, yeah. You know, whatever. She's like a she's like an action spy, but she has to try and fit in at high school, and. The joke is she's a fish out of war. It's delightful. <laughs> it's delightful. Okay. Uh, Alright, I guess we're about ready to rate the movie then. Uh, what are you going to give Ender's Game? 
I think it's good. Um, it's uh, obviously it leaves a lot to be desired, especially if you are a fan of, you know, the existing book series. Um, but it's not like it's not terrible. Um, I'll give it a six point five. Yeah, I may have given it about that the first time I saw it. I think it has went down a little bit for me this time. I I, I think, I think the constant preaching to me about how great the character is without just showing me, like let the character win me over themselves. Don't don't just constantly tell me how great the character is, right? <laughs> uh, don't 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 be an Alice from Resident Evil. Don't be an Alice. That's that's my that's my. Don't be an Alice. My best Got recommendation. Uh, so I'm probably going to go a full point lower and say 5.5. That's kind of where I'm landing on this. So Okay. There you go. I'm glad I watched it finally. Yeah. It's been on my list for a while. But there you go. That's Ender's Game. Uh, so you can put the word... Uh, oh, what was that guy's name? Bonzo? Bonzo. B-O-N-Z-O. Bonzo. Put Bonzo in the comments if you made it this far. Tara's going to pose for the thumbnail. So here we go. Three, two, one. Pose. <laughs> That's your stock. I'm just going to do a generic smile for the pose because I have nothing uh, funnier to do. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do. Your pose was so good in the last one. Admittedly, you, you were very drunk by the time we got to the end of that episode. So maybe... I was drunk. Maybe that... I drank too much blueberry juice and gin. Maybe that let you be more creative <laughs> at the end of that one. I actually, I don't normally like black out or brown out when I drink, but I really don't remember what I did for that pose. <laughs> and it was just a couple of days ago. Well, you'll <laughs> see the thumbnail soon enough, so you'll you'll find out. <laughs> God, I hope it's not embarrassing. <laughs> I will not say one way or the other. Um, so that's cool um i will have a quick look here at the uh the imdb reviews uh for this um i bet there's a lot of ones well i can tell you there's 65 tens seems low and 55 ones so there's actually more tens than ones for this wow okay yeah i imagine like because it's such a beloved book that i imagine people are just gonna hate it hmm <laughs> One of the most appalling lazy scripts I've seen in years is one title. Uh, yeah, script's okay. Uh, uh, hated it with the passion. I am shocked and appalled by the rating of this film. <laughs> I mean the average rating? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, Well-made garbage is the title <laughs> of one review. Uh, well-made garbage. <laughs> I, I, I think you'll find it's pronounced well-made garbage. Uh, That's right. Uh, Mr. User. Joe. so fancy uh, <laughs> absolute trash sucks big time uh yeah the, not a lot of positivity here well i'm in the ones out of tens admittedly so that's, <laughs> i suppose that's to be expected <laughs> that's to be expected uh i just i'll just point out the title of one ten out of ten review here's hoping there's a sequel i felt that way about tron legacy i think that's pretty funny it's funny reading that title now in 2021, now that it's been eight years. 
and stillness. Yeah. Now, now if they want to do it, they're going to have to age up Ender so much because as a Butterfield, like, 38. <laughs> I believe his name is Butterfly. What did I say? <laughs> his name is Butterfly. Oh, Butterfly. <laughs> oh, so I was right. You were just making a joke. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, just call him Azure, uh, uh, Buttercrust. Not Buttercrust. Buttercrisp? Buttercrisp. Is that a British thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, doesn't matter. Anyway. Uh, Are they crackers? <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a popcorn brand, if I recalled correctly. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was tying it in. It's a movie-related thing. People eat popcorn. Sure. Uh, so coming next time uh, we got another vote winner coming up uh, the most recent vote winner which is an interesting one which both but you haven't seen 2010 have you either I have oh okay Tara well I haven't seen 2010 the year we made contact or the year we make contact for some reason every time I go to say that movie title I always say it in the past tense but it's not it's the year we make contact but uh, I think it's because we're we're post 2010 so might I just inherently go to say it in the past tense (laughs) It's not the future anymore. Yeah. Old future. So because the best. because there's a word in it that specifically implies that it's you know it's got a tense. I I, I just naturally say past tense. But hey, um, mm. so that's what's coming up next time. So I'm very curious as to what this movie is. If nothing else, it does have John Lithgow in it. So I'll I'll have that to hold on to. Uh, and uh, Roy Roy Scheider. Ah, uh, from Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. And some Russian guy who mispronounces a saying easy as pie. pie. pie yes. Yeah. He says easy as cake. I remember, that's the only line I remember for the movie. <laughs> easy as cake. It's pie. Easy as pie. I mean, that's it. That's all I remember from the film. I mean, I enjoy I've probably watched it like 25 years ago. It's been a long time. Uh, I'm just trying to debate internally if cake is easier than pie or if pie is easier than cake and therefore should the saying be as easy as cake instead yeah I, I think I, I I might have had that inner dialogue as well when I was so young watching the movie <laughs> he maybe has <laughs> a point the only reason I, that's why yeah. I remember that line and that's the only thing I remember from the film he maybe has a point I mean <laughs> you know um, I think cake is easier to eat for sure, because it tends to be softer. You know, it just goes mm-hmm. down like a treat, right? Uh, but is it easier to bake? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know either. It, de- it, it depends what sort of pie we're talking Because, you know, a, p- a pie in the UK, usually you're talking about like a steak pie. Meat. or Yeah, you're talking about meat mm-hmm. and pastry. Which, that probably is easier, because it's just pastry, meat, and some sauce. There's, there's less, yeah. you know, there's less, you know. Prep- or unless it's a shepherd's pie, then there's no pastry. It's potato. It's just potato and mince, yeah. Usually. Maybe he's done some peas and carrot if you're feeling vaguely healthy. Of course you do. <laughs> Were you a crazy person? Yes. I have no problem with the peas and carrot getting thrown in. That said, if you throw in mushrooms, you're dead to me. Uh, so. mm, I love mushrooms. <laughs> you're dead to me. You hear me? Dead. Mushroom pie. That sounds good. You're as dead Maybe as we'll the aliens on that planet that Ender blew up. Um, <gasps> <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, 2010, the year we make contact is is next. Uh, uh, we got a whole host of stuff in the schedule. We're going back to the Planet of the Apes film soon. Don't worry about that. We'll be starting the Matrix franchise soon. 
Uh, there's a bunch of things that I do want to get to relatively soon because we technically have like one-off sequels. 2010 is one of them, of course. But mm-hmm. we really should do the second Blade Runner and the second Pacific Rim at some point just because we've done the first ones. We should just knock those out. Hey, yeah, I'm all right with that. Just to get them out of the way so it's all done. So I feel like... I, I mean, I've never, I haven't seen the Pacific Rim one, but not that I'm thrilled about that, but I definitely <laughs> want to watch the sequel to Blade Runner. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll have to pick a week, though, that's right for that because it's like a three-hour... Uh, journey. <laughs> um, admittedly, nothing will ever compare to that. That week we had to watch that five-hour movie. Uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Uh, so there you go. Uh, that's basically the show. Um, we mentioned Patreon earlier, of course. Please do like and subscribe. All that stuff. Uh, super important on the on the YouTube's. It uh, helps the YouTube algorithm quite a bit. Uh, you can, of course, also go over to Patreon, as we mentioned. Um, so do that. Uh, Tara, would you like to promote anything uh, that we do? Yeah, so if you enjoy epic long-form storytelling and that's science fiction, uh, we are currently watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And we are in Season 2, just starting Season 2. And uh, if you didn't know, Babylon 5 is now available streaming on HBO Max. So you have plenty of time to catch up to us and watch along with us. Thank you. You were right. Take one was better, but hey, we had to take two. <laughs> we had we a technical hitch in the middle of Tara's Babylon 5 uh, pitch, and we had to redo it. And the first thing she says is, oh, but that's such a good job. That was, that was a perfect take. Just put that audio over this one. <laughs> we've, we've been having audio syncing issues all day anyway, so. Yes. Uh, I'll just be dubbed. Yeah, I'll just like a foreign movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, thank you. Uh, catch us on Twitter at mail underscore fuzz for channel updates. Uh, and look forward to the next episode of the Atomic Cinema Experiment. But thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa.